we say good morning to you on a great Sunday morning. Great because we get to worship our great God and uh, get around His Word and see what He has to say, right? That's what it's about. And uh, you know, as we're in 1 Corinthians 16, we're kind of uh, boiling down to the end of this book. We're not going to close it out today, but uh, Lord willing, it'll probably be next week. We'll be finished with uh, Corinthians, which we've been on some time, but actually we've gone through it pretty quick too. Um, This is a short text that we're doing today. Verses 13 and 14. And when you look at it, you say, yeah, it is. It's pretty pretty short. Uh, Even looks like it could be one verse. Uh, but it is really loaded. Loaded with all sorts of things here that I think that we need to know and understand that can be helpful to us, that can be useful to us. And uh, it should make a high impact on our lives. Uh, there are great principles in these two verses. It's living the Christian life. And so it's meant for us, although it was written directly to the Corinthians was 2,000 years ago, But uh, it is definitely meant for the church. By this time uh, we look at uh, this, we know that they are a problem church. Uh, Right from the very outset in chapter 1 through all the way through 16, we get that. So the church has been addressed, the church has been rebuked, and uh, these guys have got to be saying, Paul, Paul, give us a break here. Well, you know, he not only wrote 1 Corinthians, but he also wrote 2 Corinthians. And if you put those two uh, books together, you actually get 29 chapters. And those 29 chapters, it's basically rebuke and correction that Paul has for the Corinthians. So it was one thing about writing one letter and then uh, writing another letter. Did you know there was another letter that he was supposed to have written too? But we don't have that recorded in here. And it might be good. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, how would you like to have 29 chapters written about you? and your church, and be seen in the Bible for all the church to see. Anyway, Paul didn't really write these letters to put a shame on the Corinthian believers, but he wanted to move them to righteousness. He wants to move them from a very sinful lifestyle that they had, and it would all be motivated for their love of Christ. That's it's not a bunch of do's and don'ts in Scripture, but it's based upon our uh, love for Christ. They had bad behavior. They had bad doctrine. And so with that bad stuff that they had, He addresses them now in a positive way. It's almost like He's been saying, don't do this. Don't do that. You're doing this. See this. Don't do that. Stop that. And then when we get into this area, He now gives five imperatives, commands, that are very upbeat, positive in the sense that they are to reverse their sins. So these are some of the things that they had been doing, and those things they had been doing, they would not have run into all the problems had they been doing these in verse 13 and 14. So it's almost as if Paul is trying to say here, you need to learn from your mistakes of the past. Here's what you do to make this right. You know, Here's how you can do it. Now we know that Christ forgives. We know that God is a forgiving God and we are to confess our sins. But how do you do certain things? Sometimes we're told to do things, but okay, alright, what, what do I do? How do I do this? Well, Paul gives them 
a package they can take right on home. Remember, they didn't have these scriptures where they had in their Bible, you know, as the letter was written, and they could take it home and do that unless they wrote those down. But uh, it's a military type tone that Paul is going to give here, as he as we look at almost like military words, because Paul knew we were in a war. We're in a war. This life is not a picnic. It's a war. There's a war on. That's why you need to learn from your mistakes because uh, they weren't behaving like it was a war. They were behaving like this was all fun and games and they wanted to be on top of it all as far as the way that they wanted to uh, do it. So, anyway, this is about the Christian life. Just these two little verses. This is how we live the Christian life. Uh, Very effective Christian living. Um, I think when you when you look at scripture, you know we we get a lot of doctrine, and of course we always get the practical along with that. We want to put application. Sometimes we spend a lot of times on doctrine that we don't get a lot of the application. But uh, this is this is all application here. And there's there's two extremes that we as Christians can do whenever we um, try to live the Christian life. And somebody will tell them the problem that they are encountering and somebody will come up to them and say, well, you just need to pray about it. And, you know, that is so true. I mean, that is absolutely correct. We would never want to do that. But sometimes people oversimplify the Christian life. Just pray about it. Sometimes that's the best thing that we can do. But just to live the Christian life would be the same thing as if you said, well, just pray about it. You know, somebody asks you a question, what, what, is, what does this mean? And you say, well, just pray about it and you'll get the answer. You know? No, people need to discuss God's Word and say, you know, how can I, how can I use this, right? So that's one extreme. Um, it's just like in golf, they say, just grip it and rip it. You know, how do I play golf? Well, get your club out and just grip it and rip it. I got that from Alistair Begg. I got a feeling golfers know all about that. How many golfers do we have here? None of you. Oh, good. Because I'm not either. I don't know golf language or anything. But I will tell you that I've got a feeling it's a lot more than just grip it and rip it. So that's one one angle that people will go at. The other angle is another one where it it's, makes it overcomplicated. And everybody's got an answer and an answer with that. And it's, it's you know, do this, do this, do this. Very helpful advice. But now it's like all coming at one time. You know, and sometimes we, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. Hey, look at this, look at that. And all sorts of information are coming this way. Ah, overload! You know, burn out here. Hang on. So sometimes we overcomplicate it in that way. Uh, Alistair Begg, he's funny sometimes. And when it, he talks about his golf game, I don't think I'd want to go around uh, with him. Actually, it'd probably be funny. But he's probably a little bit better than I am, but I'm really bad. But I don't think he's that good either. But he said whenever he was out, this one man was with him, you know, and he was out, you know, and as soon as he'd get it up like this, and he's getting ready to hit it, the man said, oh, stop, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And he'd tell him, you got to, something like, ring the bell. You know, you got to take it up here, all the way up here, and then you got to close the door, close the barn door or whatever, you know, and all this kind of language. And, and then Alistair would be ready to, to try that. You know, he said, oh, 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 your, oh your, your feet. Your feet are not right. And so he'd do that. And this went on for a long time. And Alistair said, hey, you're a nice man. Let's just go out to lunch. 
this is getting to be a little ridiculous. <laughs> it's overcomplicated, and it wasn't fun, you know. So there's a balance, is what we're trying to get at. There's a balance in Scripture, and we don't have to go to the extreme. Sometimes we do, but how do we live this Christian life? Well, just in two verses, we get, we can get the answer. We got the answer. Right here today. The answer to living the Christian life. What? Hey, that sounds like a book, doesn't it? Well, you could advertise it that way. How do we live this? Paul gives us five things here that are very useful. I think it can be useful to us today here. They're not exhaustive. You know, I mean, obviously the whole counsel of God, we, we have to have that. But this is a really good summary of what Paul was telling these Corinthians to do now. Here's what you do. Let's take a look at these principles and let's see how helpful they can be to us here, right here today. And remember, there's military terminology, so we have to remember we are in a war. And I know we've been talking about that on Monday nights in Ephesians 6. Well, here it is. Here's the war language again. Have you guys forgotten this week that you were in a war? Uh, well, the moment that something takes you by surprise, you've just forgotten that you were in a war. You have just got shot at. <laughs> So keep the uh, keep that armor on, right? Uh, let's stand just for a moment. Let you stretch, and uh, we're going to read this text, which is which is going to take very. Uh, What's well, going to be real quick? Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Father, we thank you for this word that you have for us today, and may it strengthen us and. Help us to know a little bit better how to live this Christian life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Wow, we're usually still standing and reading. Two verses. Two verses. Watch. That's the first word. Look out. Gregorio. And if you've ever heard of the word Gregory, I'm sure you've heard of names called Gregory, right? Gregory means to be on guard, to watch to be awake, to be vigilant, to be alert, be watchful, look out, watch. There's always danger awaiting the Corinthians. There's always danger awaiting the Christians. Watch, watch. Be on guard. Have your guard up. We must be alert. If we're in war, we're having an attack. We might have an attack. It can come anytime. Paul knew he had an open door at Ephesus. Remember that last week when we talked about there's an open door here? And many adversaries are there waiting for me. Many adversaries. We have this open door, but many adversaries. Hey, don't be surprised when things don't work out the way that you want. Because the enemy would like to destroy that. So when there are opportunities, there is the enemy. I think we would recognize that. In this world, you will have tribulation. But don't be afraid. We have Christ there. We have to watch. We have to be alert. And you know, we know this. These, this language here that we look at in verse 13, but we've been through this so many times. This sounds like Ephesians 6 again. I feel like I'm... Actually, I could have used one of those messages out of Ephesians 6. We could have used our Bible study. But um, I think there's a, a good reminder that we always have to do it. There's a fight. We're in it. I've always said, whether you like it or not, you're in it. You say, well, I don't want to be in it. Well, you are in it. And uh, we are to keep watch. Uh, The Corinthians were in a spiritual stupor. 
And you remember they were, uh, it was like they were in a drunkenness. And uh, sometimes they were, as they came to church and had the Lord's Supper, for instance. Paul wants them to be geared towards righteousness. Stop the sinning. So we have to be guarded. We must all be guarded. We, we all have a security system. Put on your security system. You've got to have that thing on. If you forget, you might have an unguarded moment. And if you have an unguarded moment, we could be like Peter. If you don't have your guard up, like Peter didn't have his guard up, you know what he did about the Lord? He denied the Lord three times. And I'm sure Peter really wasn't too proud of that, but that's what he did. We might be in a situation where we have we you know somebody might say you're a Christian aren't you oh uh, uh, I, I go to church you know it might be in a situation where there's all non Christians around and now it's like they're getting ready to jump all over it right and uh, would we ever deny the Lord or uh, one unguarded moment you could sell your marriage right on down the river one unguarded moment. Uh, one unguarded moment could bring your reputation that you have that's been built up and it will be shot just in one moment's time. Just one moment. There have been many leaders in the church who have been men who have been looked up to and then one unguarded moment and just ruined them. Guardedness is an imperative. It's a command. We are very vulnerable. There is not one person here that is not vulnerable to the enemy. We have to watch. So what do we watch for? Well, we're going to do about six of them here. There are plenty of them, but these are the ones that will have Scripture uh, that says to watch. Watch. In First Peter chapter 5, here's one thing that we are to watch. First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant. There's, there's our message there for, uh, right in our first part of our outline. Right? Be watchful, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Stand firm. Steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So when suffering comes, the devil can come along there too then. And he says here that you are to watch out. He's out there roaring around. So when, when something comes up against you, you know that the enemy can use that. He's a, we have to be alert because he's crafty. He's deceptive. He has strategies that he can trap us with. And if we're napping, he'll get us. So don't be ignorant of his devices, the schemes. This is the battleground. We're on the battleground of the evil one. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one, but we have Christ. We just happen to be on this, uh, this field here, though. Watch out where your feet take you. Wherever you go, watch out there. Watch out when your eyes are looking at something. Watch out something might appear that you don't want to look at. And watch out what your ears might hear because you really may not want to hear this. It's not good, right? Certain things can be bad. And your heart and your mind. Watch out for your heart and your mind. Watch out for Satan's schemes. We have to watch out for the traps out in the battlefield. There are mines out there in the minefield. Be careful. Watch out. That's one thing we watch out for, right? The next one is temptation to sin. And Jesus told this to the disciples. He said to watch out. 
And so that's the word that we're using here. In Mark 14.38. All of these are very familiar. Watch and pray. There's a word, right? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh has to be on the battlefield. We know what we want to do. But he says watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. So... One thing to watch out for is Satan. Another one is temptation to sin. If you're seeking the Lord, you've been praying, you've been in His Word, you've been in fellowship, you can recognize temptation. But if you're sleeping, you haven't been in His Word, you haven't been fellowshipping, you really haven't been praying, you're not watching out. And when you're not watching out, then you're flirting with whenever temptation comes along. And when you flirt with the temptation, then is when we sin. That's kind of like what James talks about. So there's always that temptation. If we are in prayer though, we will not tend to be lukewarm. And so therefore, we want to watch out. The devil is dangling the carrot before our eyes with temptation. Another one is that we want to watch out for is apathy. Apathetic. Revelation 3, first three verses. And this was a warning to a church, for instance. And John the Apostle wrote this to Sardis and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, that you are dead. Be watchful. There's the word, isn't it? Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore if you will not watch, there's our word, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. That's Sardis. Sardis had all sorts of benefits and um, they knew the things of God. He says, and it looked like they were alive. I mean, they had a lot of things going, but he said, hey, you're not alive. You are a dead church. You need to watch out. You need to be strengthened and hold fast and repent. So he says to watch there. Uh, they were apathetic. If you look in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 1, somebody could say, yeah, but you know what? I would never do that. I would never fall into that kind of sin. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When there have been the fall of many leaders in the church, I would hope that men of God would never say, well, I would never do that. Well, they would never want to, but they need to know that they are vulnerable and they too could, so they need to watch out that that would not happen to them because it could very well be that way. And whenever that temptation comes, be ready, be watchful, and you can avoid that. But don't ever be to be smug against certain sin, whatever it be, self-content, or just indifferent about it. That's all dealing with that. Apathy. When you get into a place when you're real comfortable, watch out. Watch out. All of a sudden you can become comfortable with sin and then you don't deal with it and then the enemy comes in and roots it up. All sorts of trouble happens. 
So, watch out for Satan. Watch out for temptation to sin. Watch out for apathy. What are, what's another one that we should be watching out for? False teachers. I know. Here we go again. You can't miss this in the New Testament or Old Testament for that matter about false teachers, false apostles are everywhere. Well, you know what? Boy, did God know what He was saying back then and even today there is so much junk out there that sounds like it's right and it confuses believers. Watch out for those guys. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. They can really root you up. But there were also false prophets among the people, among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. They're going to be right amongst you. You can turn them on on the radio, on TV. Um, They have their literature and everything. Watch out, they're right among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Oh, read that again. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. People in the church were also warned that they like to have their ears tickled. Timothy needs to be reminded of that. Always preach the Word no matter what the people want. The people would like to be patted on the back, told how good they are, be pumped up that they can have a lot of money, they can have a lot of material things, and if you just keep sending your money my way, I'm going to get rich and you're going to get rich and we're all going to be blessed with financial and physical things. And my Bible never says that. God blesses us but not the way that they say. And we do have physical things. And I do say that, hey, that comes from God too. Yes, He does. Uh, We are probably one of the richest societies that has ever lived on the face of this universe. And with technology, never has there been a society like this. So we can't ever say that uh, we haven't had nice physical things. And boy, it is good to have air conditioners and air conditioners that are working in this kind of... Well, I mean, don't we have it really easy and good? So God has blessed us. What do we want? More and more? We want a million dollars? How about ten million? Well, that's not enough. How about ten trillion? Well, that's not enough. I need more. I need more. Those guys are getting rich out there. They sure are. Taking it from the old ladies and old men who believe their lies. 2 Timothy 4. I'm angry at false teachers today, folks. Watch out. 2 Timothy verse 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They get hirelings. People in the churches, the small churches, they have the pastors and they want to get the ones that have a message that lasts about 20 minutes. And that message is not to convict them. And I want to tell you firsthand, I was talking to a pastor the other day who has now been out of a job for probably eight months or so now. And he, was take, and he preached the Word. 
and he was a verse by verse teacher, but he preached the word. He was he was he took the scripture for real, and people were coming to church there. New believers were coming in. People were being baptized. And there were a few men and women in that church that started a ruckus. And they wanted him out of there. Why? Because they were becoming very uncomfortable. And he told me the other day, he said, uh, yeah, he said, I preached too long. That was one of the reasons why he was out of there. He preached too long. My, I feel really blessed. (laughs) You know how long... Whenever he went over 35 minutes, that was too long. They put him out of the church. If I did, if I only did 35 minutes and I did two or three times, you guys would probably come up and say, "Hey, Dennis, uh, what's what's the deal? Why aren't you giving us anything?" Now, not the 35 minutes. You can get a lot done in 35 minutes, and there are some that do that, and that's fine. But and that was okay. But I'm talking about they wanted him to cut this thing down about 20 minutes. And he was at a church where he was speaking, where he's going now, uh, and he, they asked him to do a message. But they, I think they told him 23 minutes there because they had all the other things. And they've got to get everything done within 55 minutes or something. And they have their singing. They have their praying and, and all the announcements. That We have a two-hour worship that allows us to get all of this pretty well in. I know we don't have a Sunday school hour, but I'm thankful that we have a great time of worship. And I don't think that we feel too cheated when we walk out of here because we've been, we don't rush things. We want, and we definitely want to get to the Word of God, but to me, that would be the Word of God is not the center of attention. And that people want to get up and get out of there and gone. And I am hearing this all over the place. Churches, people are leaving churches. You have the little small churches that can't even get a pastor anymore. Um, people are leaving by the droves. And it's one after another are falling. Pastors are quitting. They're so discouraged. We live in a dark time. I'm thankful that we have what we have right here. But be watchful. The enemy would love to destroy our time of worship. And could bring on things we, that could be, but always be thankful that we have that. I am so thankful that I can give uh, something that here is not just a, a matter of twenty minutes to get that. My goodness, I think my the first part that I give, the introduction, is twenty minutes. We're just getting into it. We're just getting started. I'm not timing things, but I'm just saying when he told me that, my heart just breaks. I'm just. What is it? People don't want to hear the word of God. Yeah, they don't want to hear it because they're convicted of the word of God. Is what it is. And I have to really wonder if those people are even believers. Kind of sad, but they they're going to get their own kind of teachers coming in that will never offend them, and the deacons can do their little thing, get out of there, and have the rest of their day and the rest of their week. Uh, we've got a lot of false teachers today speaking of health and wealth and prosperity. The Joel Osteens, the Copelands, and you can go on and on and on. Then you have some teaching, and I had this come up with a guy earlier uh, this week and the week before. And he was speaking of the serpent seed doctrine. He was speaking of the pre-existence of the soul. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I said, please, the pre-existence of the soul. Are you saying that I existed before I was born here? And he said, oh yes, absolutely. I said, where in the Bible can you show that to me? He says, well, it's right there. It's in Genesis. It's in Genesis 1. 
then I said, are you talking about the gap theory? And so, you know, he just read into that and I said, where are you getting this at? And uh, he mentioned Arnold Murray. So if you ever hear of an Arnold Murray, realize that this is a bunch of trash. This guy is, is a false teacher. Although he say, check the word, read the word. He's an old guy and he's, he's from Arkansas and he's got this, you know, kind of accent. Everybody likes a military guy. He used to call himself a doctor, Dr. Arnold Murray, and then they traced it out and they found out the guy never had a degree. Said he went to a particular seminary and they checked him out there and they never had him on roll there. He never went there. And so people call him up about it and the people that take up the answers in the phone call, they say, oh, we'll get back with you. And then that's it. But... Uh, Arnold Murray speaks of the pre-existence of the soul, serpent seed doctrine, um, other things. Uh, I'm not so sure exactly what his whole view is on the Trinity. I have heard where he really didn't believe in the Trinity as the historical church does. Anybody that denies those kind of things, and uh, you know, they're not part of the church to me. But this guy would keep saying, oh, no, no, he's, no, he's, that's there. I said, well, you have to show me here in, here in the Bible. And then he said, well, there were people existed before Adam and Eve. I said, well, the Bible clearly shows in Genesis chapter 2 that Adam was the first one created. He's the first man. But he said, yeah, but we were here before that. I go, no, we weren't. I said, it's not here. It's not in the Bible. And he said, well, that's what Arnold Murray says. Oh, yeah, that's what Arnold Murray... The word of Arnold Murray. Fantastic. And he did make me a little upset, but I tried to keep my cool and show love. I didn't yell at him. I smiled. But we went to Scripture. And I had to ask him, I said, is there a point here? I mean, when we look at this, what what are we going to do with this when this says Adam is the first... And then we went to Romans chapter 5 where sin came in. Sin Sin was introduced and death because of Adam's sin, Right? So sim- simple to us, so basic. The depravity of man. I said, "Do you believe in the depravity of man?" He said, "Oh yes, absolutely." And then I asked him, and then he, then he him hawed around around something with else. And then I said, "Well, do you believe in original sin?" He said, "Oh no, not at all." I said, "You don't believe in original sin that you're born in sin?" He says, "God wouldn't ever make you already have sin. How can you?" He says, "You you sin, and that, that's whenever you're a sinner." You, you guys, every one of you catch that, don't you? Isn't that simple to us? Isn't that about as basic as it can be for us? But how many other people out there, that man is believing a lie. And that to me is very scary. Isn't that awful? That's on our TV. That's on our airwaves. All sorts of crazy stuff out there. You've got to watch, folks. You've got to watch. It's crazy. They may teach positive confession. If you say this, if you believe it, then this is what will happen. If it's positive, then it's positive, and then you'll get something good. If you think something negative, if you ever admit that you have a cold, uh, you've just brought it on, and and uh, you have just sinned actually because you didn't believe. All these kind of teachings, they're out there. Be awake. Be awake. These are heresies, and that's the way the enemy works. The Pure Word of God. It's as simple as can be. It's right here. I will tell you, after we finished um, talking with that man, he said, thank you for showing me these things. He says, ask, when I, whenever I ask him certain questions, he said, well, yeah, you might have a point there. I said, well, Arnold Murray is reading something in here into the text that's not here. Am, am I right? And he said, well, yeah, I think so. 
Because he couldn't show me. And at least he would allow to go to the Lord to God, and I commend him for that. And after it was all said and done, he said, well, thank you a lot. I'm glad. He says, I'm going to take this back. I'm going to read this a little bit more. And that was encouraging. Because a lot of people get all mad and say, ah, oh, you know, that's their favorite teacher, and they're not going to get um, taken away by somebody like me to try to take them away from that. But uh, we see here in Timothy, it talks about taking away from the truth and turning aside to fables. Then he says in verse 5, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, do it. Even if it's offensive to him. Okay, so be watchful for Satan. Be watchful for temptation to sin. Be watchful for apathy. Be watchful in prayer. In Ephesians 6.18, after we have been given the armor, in 18 he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Being watchful as you pray. Know what's going on around you. Be praying for the people that need your prayer. People in the church. The people who have needs. People outside the church. People in the church. Know what their needs are and be specific in prayer for them. Be watchful for the return of Christ. Be watchful even right now. Look at Matthew 24.42. We know that He could come back at any time. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Watch. He could be coming back. What's so good about being watchful for the return of Christ? What helps us live our lives now as we wait for Him to return to the earth, His return is a motive to holy living. And we see that throughout the New Testament passages in Peter and Timothy. So that should motivate them. Okay. You say, okay. That's fine. I must be watchful. How do I watch? Well, I don't want to oversimplify it. But the Word of God is the window of which we watch. This is how we watch. Turn on... The Bible and watch. All the scriptures there. Now, that's one of them. And we go to the next word, and it's dealing with standing firm, as we're in 1 Corinthians 16. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Okay, military terms be watchful, be guarded. The next one is stand firm. In Ephesians 6, guess what? Is that term foreign to us here? No. Stand firm. What is, it? what is the Greek word? Steko. It means to root down. Don't run away, but stand firm. That's how you win the battles. You don't have to be finding out the names of the demons and take them on. Just be stable. Stand. Don't run. Be rooted down. The necessity of a Christian is stability. You must be stable. A mature stability. And that's the idea of standing fast in the faith. What's the faith? Oh, this sounds so familiar, doesn't it? Ephesians 6, right? The Bible study guys. Uh, but if we go to Jude 3, 
I think we used this when we were dealing with the belt of truth. Jude 3, what's the faith? Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith. It's the Word. It's the truth. It's the whole counsel of God. In 1 Corinthians 15.1 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the Gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. We stand in that Gospel. And just for starters, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the Gospel is the good news. It's the whole good news. The Gospel is really God. The Gospel is the whole counsel of God. The Gospel is the faith. It's the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. This is how we stand firm in the faith. Don't be moved about by every wind and doctrine. I think that's what Ephesians 4 is about, right? But in 1 Timothy 6, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. The faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you also call and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The good confession. Confession of Christ. uh, The the counsel of God. The truth. What all entails with eternal life. One more. Philippians 1.27 This is a good one. Only let your conduct be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. So whether I came to you or an absent, I am here of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together, here we go, for the faith of the Gospel. This one embodiment of truth. The Word of God. We're not talking about traditions that we don't know what they are. The faith. Word of God. We need to know the Bible to stand firm. How do I stand firm? Know the Bible. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they are you know, doing real well and all of a sudden the uh, Babylonians say, okay, we've got this great big 90-foot statue, this idol, and we want everybody in this country to bow down to this idol. And it came to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said, no, we're not going to do that. They knew their God, and that would be a lie to bow down to another God, because there's no other gods. There's only one God. And so we know that they didn't do it. They didn't bow down. They stood firm, didn't they? And uh, as a result, ultimately, we see that God wins. And they knew that. They knew that kind of God. God could deliver us. But if He doesn't, that's okay too. God's going to be glorified out of this. Right? Right? So the Christians are to hold on to their faith. They know what's true. Um, The Corinthians were having a little struggle with this. Human philosophy was coming in. They were kind of mixing it with the truth. So they were bowing down to the God of that world at that time, which is really the philosophy. There, They put it on par with Scripture. The authority of the Word of God. They were undermining that authority, weren't they? So to be firm is to have the doctrines, to know the doctrines of the Word, and stay in it. Stand firm on that. 
Now we go back to 1 Corinthians. And it says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave. Be brave. Then it says, be strong. And then it says, do with love. So we have three more to go here. And I've got on the outline, grow up. And my New King James says, be brave. And we'll see how that works out here. Andridzo is the Greek word. It means to conduct yourself in a manly way. Now this is to women too. But okay. The the King James Version actually says act like men. And we know that today that's a problem. Women are acting like men. Men are acting like women. Yeah. But you know, it's saying that you want to have courage. You want to be mature. It's a mature courage is the meaning of this being brave. Christians need to be unflinching in their courage. Now, children can be fearful. They can be not courageous. But a mature person is confident and he has courage and has control. So you want to be courageous people. You want to be confident. You want to be mature. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3... Were the Corinthians being mature? No. If you gave another answer after we've been here, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going, okay, what are we going to do? Start over? No. Everybody got it, right? Verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to fleshly people. I have to speak to you like you're a fleshly person, like you're an unbeliever, even though you are believers. As to babes in Christ. That's a negative term there. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. You should be bringing in the solid food by now. But you're still on the bottle. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. For you are still carnal or fleshly. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you're not, uh, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men rather than spiritual people? So he's saying... You are acting like babies. You should be like courageous people, courageous men, confident and mature. Don't act like babies. Wouldn't it be sad to see a 17-year-old boy still sucking on a bottle of milk? Would that be sad? And that's what the Corinthians look like in their spiritual walk. That's why Paul has to continue to Try to wake them up. Look in First Peter two two. Now he has a different view on the milk here. As newborn babes, as you are born again people, desire the pure milk of the word, nothing anything mixed with the gospel and the truth of faith. It's the pure milk, the pure Word of God that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that Lord is gracious. We need the Word of God so that we can grow, right? And that's the meaning that Peter has there. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is how we grow. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and what's so good about it? Well, it's profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? 
that the man of God may be complete, mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God equips you. It convicts you and trains you up in righteousness. Your life changes even more and more. So the whole idea of the church is to become mature in the faith. We're to become more and more mature. We are to grow up. Desire the pure milk of the Word. He strengthens us by the grace of God. And that will get us into the next one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16. So verse 13, he says, Be strong. Well, that's not very hard to interpret, is it? You don't need me to tell you that. But, you know, you can't actually strengthen yourself. Be strong. Well, that's a great command. I like that. How can I do that? Be strong. Pray about it. (laughs) It's almost oversimplification. God is how we're strengthened. We can't strengthen ourselves. We're weak. Every one of us is weak. Are you guys weak? You're weak. You're weak in yourselves. Kravail means an inner spiritual growth. Be strengthened inwardly. That new man. Man, do you think the Corinthians thought they were strong? Oh, man. Paul came in there with a gospel and how weak he was with that gospel. And the Corinthians, hey, we have this human philosophy. And you know, about that resurrection. Got a little problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, man. Did they have knowledge, huh? They were so much with knowledge, they were puffed up. Right? Oh, man, they knew it all. These guys were good. They were strong. That was the problem. They thought they were strong, but that couldn't be further from the truth. What makes you Corinthians think you're so hot in popular vernacular? Can you imagine Paul saying that to them? Probably not exactly that way, but what do you think is so great? What makes you think of that? You really want to see what you're really like? Or read these 16 chapters of Corinth and you'll realize what you're about. Where does our strength come from? Where does my strength come from? Out of Psalm 121, does this sound familiar? Or something there like, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. Where's my strength? Where's my help? I need help. My help, my strength comes from the Lord. And He is so powerful. I want to tell you something. You know what? He created heaven and earth. That's the kind of God I want. I need that kind of strength. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now, that's our problem. Sometimes we sleep, right? We're not awake. And He says, I'll keep you. Behold, He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. I take that as a promise that was written by um, a song writer. A song of a sense, it says here. But God is the help for those who are His. 
And so we look to Him. We look to the hills. We look to the Lord for the strength. We know that. Hey, we just can't go into a weight room and say, oh, I, want to, I want to start getting really physically strong. And I'm just going to go into a weight room and say, be strong. I'm not going to do anything. The weights are around there. I'm just going to be strong. Nothing's going to happen. We have to discipline ourselves. I think of Psalm 40.31. You guys know what that one is, don't you? Psalm 40.31. It's a favorite. No, 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 no. Isaiah 40.31. I'm sorry. You probably know this by heart. I don't have to turn to it. Isaiah 40.31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They're patient believers. And they see God's glory even in their trials. That's what that's about. Or at least one thing. Uh, Verse 10, Even the youth shall faint and be weary. They get tired. We get tired. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Whatever you're going through, realize that He'll get you through it. I have passage after passage we can turn to. We are running out of time. and uh, But those are great verses if you ever want to go to those as great promises. Our strength is in the Lord. When, when I am weak, He is strong. Do you guys rely on those promises? Realize your weakness. We all are. It's okay. We're to submit to God to be strengthened. My strength is made perfect in His weakness. If you're going to run the race, you have to discipline yourselves. That gains strength. Last one. It's verse 14. Let all that you do be done with love. So you can take all that stuff. You can be watchful. You can be standing firm. You can be strong. You can be maturing. Growing up, right? But if you don't have love, it's all a waste. It doesn't mean a thing. The Corinthians sure needed this one in the church, didn't they? Let all that you do be done with love. If they could have done it, he had to write a whole chapter dealing with that one, didn't he? You have to immediately think of 1 Corinthians 13 and what love really is. What, what it does. Love does, right? Love does. You say, well, I love them. Yeah, what are you doing, right? It's a basic element. Love does. It acts. It's a verb. It's an action word. True manliness, or being strong, being brave, has to be balanced with love. We have all this truth and everything, but we don't have love, then we're not balanced. I think this is a tremendous quote here. This comes from John MacArthur. Love complements and balances everything else. It's the beautiful, softening principle. It keeps our firmness from becoming hardness. Our strength from becoming domineering. It keeps our maturity gentle and considerate. It keeps our right doctrine from becoming obstinate and dogmatic and our right living from becoming smug self-righteousness. 
the balance that love does. Love and truth always go together. It sounds like Ephesians 4, doesn't it? I'll close with this. There was a girl by the name of Sally. She was a young lady who went to the Bible seminary. She went one day to her classroom. Dr. Smith there is the professor. All the students love him. It's fantastic. They love his illustrations. Great illustrations. And so they're able to learn from him. And um, one day when they got there, and she got there, on the blackboard there was a target. And alongside the target there was this little table with a lot of darts on it. And they thought, what are we going to have today here? What's, What's going on here? So Dr. Smith got them all to sit down. He said, okay, now I want you to think of a person in all the world who you have the greatest grudge against Someone you just detest. Someone you have a problem with. Think of them who you detest. Somebody you're annoyed with. Somebody that you're angry with. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get you a piece of paper. I'm going to give you a pen. Then I'm going to draw a picture. I want you to draw a picture of that person that really gets to your crawl. And then I'll let you have your turn. You pick up the darts. And you start throwing at the target with their picture up there. As many as you can till the time is done. So they all set out to work. Sally was drawing her picture. Oh, she was drawing a great picture. And uh, then she had a friend over there that uh, she she knew that... um, Or actually, she had somebody steal her boyfriend. She was drawing that picture out and another one had something else of her she was drawing a picture of her little brother <laughs> you know? Sally was drawing someone that used to be her best friend she didn't she really actually brought a lot of great detail in this picture took a lot of time over it put every little freckle in there you know? and the shape of her nose pretty close to being right the ears and the eyes and boy she did a good job Everybody got their turn. They got the darts and they were throwing at the pictures and everything. Oh, they were throwing them hard. And uh, so one by one, they're doing that. And all of a sudden, Dr. Smith said, okay, that's time. Now, Sally hasn't got her chance yet. I can't let any of you throw any more. Boy, Sally was really angry. But she could almost draw a picture of Dr. Smith and bring him up there. (laughs) She's saying, I went to all this trouble to do this. I was going to vent my anger and vent my wrath by doing this. And Dr. Smith went up to the dartboard, took off all the pictures that were up there. All the students had pinned them up there. Sally didn't get to throw her darts them. And behind the pictures, as revealed back, was a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. His eyes were all torn. His nose was broken. His whole face was marred. And the whole class just got silent. Dr. Smith then said, As you have done it unto the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. Does that bring it home? Let all things be done with love. Corinthians, you guys better listen to this. Grace Community Church, we need to remember that. Listen to it. Remember it. Let all things be done 
in love. Let's pray.